So, we have another lighthearted sermon today, Loving Your Enemies, or what a sermon I call Loving the Unlovable, is what I'm going to be naming this one. Basically, we're continuing the Sermon on the Mount series, and last week we looked at turning the other cheek, right? Jody taught on what that looks like and how that is affected and how we should apply that, and this is somewhat of an addition to that in a way. And so we're going to be looking at how to love your enemy and what that is. And I, and I want to stay away from the cliche, you know, if you were ever raised in the church, you just already know this, right? You ever were told that at a young age and, and growing up, you're supposed to love everybody and rainbows and kisses and hearts and, and all that. Whereas I want to look at this scripture more from a view of how it's a foreshadowing of, of what is to come and why we have a gospel. Right? This verse is very important, and I think Jesus is telling us what is to come. Before he even goes to the cross, he's allowing us to see a glimpse of what this transformation is going to look like. And he's laying the base, and we're going to look at that. Before I jump in, though, I wanted to share a couple of stories with you. So there's two men and two stories I want to, to tell you about. The first one comes from us, comes from the Christian catacomb, catacombs in Rome. So it's, it was in, in Latin, it was translated into modern English, but they found it buried in the Christian catacombs, which is just a tomb, basically, for where people were, were buried underneath the city. So it's a story of a guy named Proculus and Paulus. Okay, I'm going to read you the translated version. A rich man named Proculus had, a hundred, had hundreds of slaves. The slave named Paulus was so trustworthy that Proculus made him the steward over his whole household. One day, Proculus took Paulus with him to the slave market to buy some new workers. Before the bargaining began, they examined the men to see if they were strong and healthy. Among the slaves stood a weak old man. Paulus urged his owner to buy this slave. Proculus answered, but he is good for nothing. Go ahead, buy him, Paulus insisted. He is cheap, and I promise that the work in your household will get done even better than before. So Proculus agreed and purchased the elderly slave, and Paulus made good on his word. The work went better than, bef- than ever, but Proculus observed that Paulus now worked for two men. The old slave did no work at all. While Paulus tended to him, gave him the best food, and made him rest. Proculus was curious, so he confronted Paulus. Who is this slave? I know I value you. I don't mind you, your protecting this old man, but tell me who he is. Is he your father who has fallen into slavery? Paulus answered, It is someone to whom I owe more than, to, than my father. Your teacher then? No, somebody to whom I owe even more. Who then? This is my enemy. Your enemy? Yes, he is the man who killed my father and sold us, the children, as slaves. Proculus stood speechless. As for me, said Paulus, I am a disciple of Christ, who has taught us to love our enemies and to reward evil with good. Wow. The next one is more of a a modern analogy. This is, if you you know anything about me, I, I love history. I studied it in college. And one of my favorite people from modern times is Martin Luther King Jr. I love studying him. I love reading his life and biographies. While in jail, um, 
as we know, Martin Luther King was very persecuted and, and hated. But here's some things that happened. So he did a sermon in jail. One of his most popular was on loving your enemies, and one that is one of the most profound. While in prison, this is what was happening to him while he was giving this message. So he had received death threats, accused of being a communist, which at that time basically was, was a lot heavier than it would be now. His house had been bombed, and he had been jailed over 20 times. So this is at least his 20th time in jail for wanting to be different, wanting to see the equality of man. And I love that because I think Christianity in itself calls us to be different, and we're going to look at that. But he states in his sermon, hate multiplies hate. In a descending spiral of violence, it is just as injurious to the person who hates as to his victim. However, love is the force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend for his creative and redemptive power. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that this message falls on on open hearts that we will receive this message that you have given us, that we won't just hear it and let nothing transform, but that by your word, we will become more like you. That we will see people with the eyes that you have given us, with your eyes. That we have a life that is no longer our own, but is completely yours. That our identity is not found in in what the world calls us to be or in in the value that we see ourselves, but completely in the identity that you have called us and you have made us. Lord, allow this truth to sink in. Allow your gospel to enrich our lives because it is through your gospel that transformation truly occurs. By understanding what you've done, by understanding who you are, we become more like you. We become more like love. Allow that truth to sit and fall from from knowledge, from head knowledge, to belief, to the heart, so that we walk a life that reflects this. In your glorious name, amen. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, both digital and paper, we're looking at Matthew 5, 43 through 48 today. So you can read along with me if you'd like. Looking, working out of the NIV this morning, which is, as you guys know, I usually preach out of. You have heard that it is said, and this is just as Christ talking, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do, you not, do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. All right. So like I said before, I want to take a different angle at this passage. Hopefully most of you have, have heard this passage, have read it throughout the Gospels. You know, we're looking at the Matthew version, but there's also a version in Luke. Um, John are, are great examples, but I want to look at this view as, as gospel-centered, right? More than just, here's what to do, and this is how you do it, right? Because obviously loving your enemy is, is counter-cultural, it's counter-intuitive, right? And that's how Christ likes to speak, 
I like to, I call it the the Christological escalations, because he, yeah, I'll copyright trademark. That's mine. Basically, what he does is he raises the bar. We have the Levitical law, and he raises the bar. So we're going to look at that. But first, first item I want to look at: who are the enemies? It's a strange thing for for someone to say, "Love your enemy." It's even stranger for Jesus to insinuate there is an enemy. Right? We think of this this frolicky Jesus who goes through just loving people, skipping through meadows, right? But no, he he is actually a warrior. He's actually a, a soldier. He's going into a fight, right? So there obviously is an enemy. But who are the enemies of God? Well, there's a couple verses I want to look at. First off. I want to talk about what sin is. So sin is actually anything that goes against the will of God. Anything that goes against the will of God. Which, who are sinners? All of us are. We are. Okay? That's the first thing you have to realize when you first come to Christ. There's that moment where you realize, I'm a sinner. I'm in trouble. I am dead in my transgressions. That's the whole heart behind, wow, I need to be saved. That's why we have that verb. And it's important to know that all of mankind is an unequal playing field. Right? There's no one better. There's no one righteous, not one. No one has been righteous. So we're all lost. All are enemies. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's the first verse if you ever study the Roman road. It's the first thing you share with somebody. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So who are the enemies? James 4.4 4 says, You adulterous people, which he's talking about, an unfaithful people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Tough words. Matthew 16.23, Even Peter was called out as opposing the will of God. It says, But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but mine, but man's. Oof, can you imagine Peter's face? Philippians three eighteen through 19 For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now telling you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. So the first thing you realize is that, as sinners, we are enemies of God. Prior to believing and trusting God. So, in this verse, Matthew, Matthew 5, we see him laying the groundworks of, you have neighbors and you have enemies. Who are the enemies of God? He's saying, sinners are. You are. Are any of you doing the will of, of the Father who sent me? Right? It's easy for, I think it's easy to take this verse as Christians and have the uppity nose and say, well, look at these people who don't believe in you, God. What are you going to do with these people? Right? There's this concept of, of being higher than now, I think, in, in a lot of... And it's easy to fall into that. It's so simple to look at an unbeliever, uh, you know, an atheist, a secular humanist, someone who's not a believer, and say, wow, how can we ever love that? Someone who is, is spitting at us. I, I always call it well, atheist-breathing fire, Right? You go to prayer booths, you're going to see this. Aaron's actually ran into what? <laughs> Aaron's got a good story with one. So there is a concept of who is he talking about in this verse? 
And the, and the angle I'm taking on this is that he's talking first to us prior to us coming to Christ. And this is what, I want you to keep that in your mind as we continue. So he's looking deeper. Jesus is speaking deeper meaning to the Levitical law. He's, love your neighbor and hate your enemy is actually a scripture from Leviticus 19.18. So he's doing that Christological escalation that I'm talking about. He's saying this is the law, but this is what I say. And the glorious thing about Jesus is that he has the authority to do that. Because he is God. He said it in Leviticus, and now he's saying it again. He says, but this is what I this is the meaning of it. This is the fulfillment of this. This is the exclamation point at the end of the Vidical Law. He is talking about a sort of reconciliation, a reconciliation that will flow through him and his sacrifice. So he's laying that, that base work. And of course, the, the escalation, Jesus is raising the bar, his followers, what we're going to look at, his children, in order to portray the power of good, good news, the gospel, Right, that's what gospel means, that is going to originate from him. Okay, so he's talking to us, he's talking to all people prior to us being saved, to coming to Christ. He wants to be that, the humbling idea of, wow, like, I am an enemy of God. What does that mean? It's a scary concept to be an enemy of God. So let's move on. Then he says something really interesting. He says, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Now, why would he say that? Why would he say this continuance of that you may be your Father, that you be children of your Father in heaven? Well, the Bible is very clear that a father figure is someone who both cares for and serves as children, but in the return, children serve and respect him. The patriarchal society of the biblical times of the ancient world was centered around the father. Right? Read the prodigal son. I love reading the prodigal son because, one, I was a prodigal son, but there's also two sons within the prodigal son. The older son oftentimes gets left out. Right? Study it from the point of view of the older son, the religious, the legalistic son. Right? And then you have the son that gets all the attention, the one that left and came back. But the patriarchal society that people were associated with they were broken up into tribes. We have tribe of Judah, Benjamin. Even the Romans have the Julia clan. That's the one that came, Gaius Julius Caesar. There's a very idea of a father-centered uh, patriarchal world. So what he's saying is that whoever you belong to, that's your identity in the, in the patriarchal society, right? And, and Jesus is continuing this. He's saying, who do you belong to? Who is your father? And the scary thing is Christ is saying that when you love your enemy, which is the will of the Heavenly Father, but when you don't, you're associating yourself with who is opposed to him. The enemy, the devil, Satan, the accuser. John 8.44 says, You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. That's Jesus speaking, saying, You're either your father in heaven, you're either a child of your father in heaven, or you're a child of the devil. So he's saying, This is what the father of, this is what a child of the heavenly father does. He loves his enemies. And we're realizing is we are at first born into an enemy of God, we're born into sin. Right? Everyone at one point or another was an enemy of God. 
but it, it changes the perception a little bit when you realize that we were all in the same playing field and we were all, we were all in the same boat at one point. So Jesus is calling out his listeners to look inside and see people, who they really are. He says, do you want to be an enemy of God or a child of God? It's a rhetorical question. Which one do you want to be? And we have, he calls us to make a response to this. And this response is, how do you treat people who persecute you? How do you treat people who hate you? How do you treat people that go against you? Just like Proculus and Paulus, the story, what do you do if your, whole, if your whole family was sold into slavery, killed? How, what is your reaction to that person? Your reaction is going to be declare who you are. Who, who, what is your identity? Who is your father? Where do you come from? Right? It's that faith. Ephesians 1.5 says, He decided to advance, to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself. Through Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.26 So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. So there's something that happens. There's something that occurs when we're adopted into this family. Through our mediator, Jesus Christ. There is a transformation. There is something that occurs. But we have to first realize who we are. Identity is everything. Our identity will, will completely change the way you view people and will also change the way you view yourself. Right? A giver and a taker. For if, while we are God's enemies, but when you accept Christ, you are reconciled to him. The Bible says that we are adopted into his family. Right? It's not a biological line. You're not born into it. The Bible says we're born into sin. We're born as an enemy. But he adopts us. He reaches us out. He grabs us. He Literally, the Bible says, drags us out of our old identity and craves us a new one. One that is called to love instead of murder and hate. One of reconciliation and not division. So how do we live as children of faith? Faith is the glue that holds the family together. How do we live as that? Right? Christ gives us the faith, even comes from him. How do we, what do we do? How do we live as that? So Jesus moves on. He continues to prove the point that God created everyone in an equal field. He says, sun to rise on evil and good, sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous, takes care of everybody. Right? It's a just God. As we looked a couple weeks ago, he, he wishes everyone to be saved. First Timothy 2 says he wants people to be saved. He urges people to come to him. But there's, a, there's an equal playing field, evil and good, righteous and unrighteous. Then he calls the children of God to be different. This is, what, this is why Jesus is so awesome. Because he wants everyone to be different. He wants Christians to be different. There's, there's something different about you. There's something countercultural to you. He was the most countercultural person to ever live. And people always want to be that, right? You always want to stand out in the crowd is there's a desire in us to be different. We embrace that. What does God have you to do and then do it? Right? So then he calls the children of God to be different. Love those who love you. Wow, that's easy to do. Right? He says, anyone can do that. Anyone can, can love someone and, and love them back. That's simple. Where's the reward in that? 
Even the worst of the worst. Tax collectors. Even Matthew's getting called out. I wonder if Jesus even pointed to Matthew and said, even the tax collectors. Right? If you greet only your own people, don't the pagans, don't the, the polytheists, don't the adulteress do that? Don't even the worst, is what he's saying, don't even the worst of the worst do that? How are you going to be any different if you're doing that? And that's what you're banking on. Again, the worst of the worst, he's laying this, this build work of, man, you have to be so different in every way. Every countercultural way, even your family looks at you differently. Even your friends look at you differently. Because if we have learned one thing, there's a lot of people like to get together and talk about other people. Luke, can you keep it down, please? Thanks. So then he, he comes and he says, Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, this is a verse that, taken out of context, will be rather interesting. I've had it thrown at me a lot by being taken out of context. People who, who want to back up the end of a work-based salvation love to use this verse as far as, you know, it's possible to be perfect. You can work your way to perfection. Right? That's not what Christ in, the, in this context is saying. He doesn't expect you not to sin. Right? He understands that sin is, is among it. It's going to be with you until the very end, until either he returns or you go to him. It's going to be there. So what is he saying? He is calling us to love and reconcile people who go against us, betray us, hurt us, because we once were them. Be perfect in full love. Be perfect in and how you look at somebody, because when you're looking at somebody who doesn't know Christ, you're looking into a mirror. You're looking into your old self. How would you treat your old self? Do you treat them with contempt? Or do you look at them like Jesus sees them and realize, wow, you need what I have? Jesus, when he talks about love, it's always in the context of truth. You notice that? There's this truth concept of love. And so sharing the truth with somebody is, loving, is a form of loving them. But also understanding them in the context of, of maybe their ignorance towards God. And not with contempt. And what he says, he says, pray for them. Pray for those who persecute you. You realize that in all of these fights and all of these battles, his, his answer to this is almost always the same. Pray. Pray. When you're in a spiritual fight, you pray. When someone's persecuting you, you pray. What do they do in the jail? They sang and prayed. Right? Our fighting is done in prayer. Not with lashing out. Not with arguments. Not with disputations. But with prayer. So what we see here is a very solid beginning of the gospel. Of what is about to come, a foreshadowing of what is to be. You know, people listening to Christ on the Mount, they didn't know that he was going to be crucified. They didn't know that one day that all that all of this was going to come to play and he was going to rise. But Jesus is giving us a little a little snippet of this is the gospel. This is what I am. He's like, You came to me as enemies, 
You're leaving me as friends, as neighbors. I loved you enough that I died so that you could be my neighbor. You came to me as enemies. And when you look at it that way, it changes the concept of how we see people. I hope it does, at least, because the only way to really transform, the only way to really do this is by the gospel transforming your life. Because you can't white-knuckle your way through this. You cannot force yourself to love people. Because you're a human and you will fall. You might be able to do it for a week. You might be able to do it for a month. You might even do it for a year. But eventually, you're going to run into somebody you cannot love. So what do we do? You look at them through the eyes as Christ sees them. You look at them in a way that Christ sees them. Are they not loved? Are you not there in front of them? Are you not in their life for a reason? Did God not preordain this to be? You use those scenarios, you use those examples to love regardless of what they say. Be perfect in how you approach people and how you love people. You can choose whether to, to lash or to take the lashing. Jesus decided to take the lashing, didn't he not? And we are called to do the same. To this, the, the world does not understand this. To the world, this seems foolish. To the world, this seems idiotic. To just take a, take a beating. Right? And Paul probably had more excuse to lash. Jesus had more excuse to lash than anybody else. Christ was completely innocent. He could have said any word against the Romans, the high priests, whatever. But he didn't. He stayed silent. As we looked at last week, he, he basically turned the other cheek. And he says here, when that happens, you have to love. He went to the cross because of love. He went to the cross for his enemies. And how many of us can say, I'd be willing to do that? How many of us will say, I'd be willing to die for someone who spits on me and lashes out against me and beats me and whatever else? So like I said before, there's no way to force yourself to love people. I don't have a, a three-step guide, this is how to love people. All I can tell you is that your deeper understanding of the gospel is the only thing that's going to do it. When you understand the gospel so intimately that it's like, wow, this is who I once was. This is who people who don't know you are. And this is what I do. I share that. I love them. You don't even have to say a word. You can share the gospel without even talking to somebody sometimes. By just reacting in a way that is obscure, that isn't normal. Because it shows love. And I, and I promise, I know it's like rubbing your face against a cheese grater when this happens. It's not easy. It's painful. You, everything, you're holding everything you want back not to just rip somebody's head off. Trust me, I, I had anger issues. It was always the quiet ones, as they say, right? And when it happened, it happened, and it was scary. It scared me. It scared people around me. I lost control. It was 
It was scary. But it was the, it was the gospel, it was the better understanding of who I am, who I was, and who I am now that started to change that. Because I realized, wow, those people who are making me angry, they, they just don't know. Maybe I didn't know. Maybe I didn't have a full grasp of what Jesus did. I understood it up here. I could recite it. I could tell you about it. But my life didn't reflect that because I don't think I fully understood it. Proculus and Martin Luther King understood it. They understood it's bigger than them because they died to themselves. That's what that is. They're not, they don't have a right to be angry. They gave up their right to be angry the moment they decided to follow Jesus. And then it just flows naturally because they understood the depth of love that Christ came to meet them, to meet and save them. So when you look at a fellow human being, what do you see? A sinner? Someone who insults your beliefs? Someone who injured or physically, injured you physically or emotionally? Do they just want to cause division among you? Do they just want to see you riled up? I think what they call trolling the internet. You just go on Facebook for a few minutes and start a theological debate. You're going to see that, and you know, no problem. Just remember that at one point, you looked to God as the enemy acted in an enemy, as an enemy towards God. So God, one, he looked at you at one point in your life as an enemy because everyone's born into it. And what was God's actions? He sent his son to die. That's what he did. That's what he calls us to do. To die to our rights, our own self, to be identified with Christ, to be one with Christ, to be in Christ. And if you know what that truly means, that means you guys are one. Older brother and us, one. God is one. And he says, this is what we do when this happens. We pray through the fight, we pray through the persecution, and we choose to love instead of hate. That's how we love the unlovable. Because hate does nothing. It only destroys. The devil brings hate. He brings division. He brings murder. And what does Jesus say about murder? If you even hate a brother or sister, it's considered murder. If you even think about it, it's considered murder. Hate is not from God. Right? But he looks at sinners, the enemy, and he goes, I just hate that. I hate that because of what it does to, to us. He says, but if you choose to love, it may lead you to a grave. I hope it doesn't. But if it does, wow, what a, what a blessing. And what a testimony. One thing you think of when you're, in, when you're in a situation where it's easier to hate than to love, is what did Jesus do for you? Simple words. What did Jesus do for you? When that temptation to, to hate overwhelms, ask yourself, what did Jesus do for you? What did Jesus do for me? He could have chosen not to rescue me, drag me out, but he did. He could have chosen not to die on the cross, but he did. He could have chosen not to raise from the dead and come back and promise us that he will return. But he will. 
I really hope that that, that that message just sinks in, that you explore deeper meaning into what the gospel is. It's not just a book. It's not just a noun. It's a verb. It's, it's a living. It's organism. It moves. It'll impact everything in your life. It'll impact all of your friends. I, saw, I read a great quote last week where it said, God fills you. And the world tries to fill you. So if you're full of, of God or you're full of the world, what's going to tip out acid or love? Because when the world's filling you, when you, when you, run into, when you bump into somebody, it's more likely going to be acid. It's going to be a lash out. When someone, when someone cuts you off on the interstate, what is that, Pastor Jody's favorite analogy? I think she must, she must get pretty good bad road rage. Don't tell her I said that. Oh, it's recorded. Shoot. But yeah, what do you do? Jesus said this in John fifteen thirteen, There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Again, prior to the cross, he says, let me read it again. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. He absolutely knew what was about to happen. And I love reading these Sermon on the Mount passages because you find snippets of, of these pre, like this is what's going to happen. I'm telling you this now so that later you'll understand. Because you can imagine, disciples were like, what does this mean? Right? They're always saying that. What does this mean? It's like, it'll be clear. And you'll see it when you love an enemy. You'll see it when you love an unlovable, as they say. People who are just so difficult to love. Those are the people you've been placed in front of for a reason. You're not placed in front of people just to love people who love you back. Or greet people you already know. But to go love people who people seem that, that no one can love. To greet people that no one says hi to. The outcasts. Who was an outcast? Jesus was an outcast. Homeless. Yet that's who we're called to go be and to reach. And a lot of people are spiritual outcasts. Right? People who seem to have everything put together on the surface, but inside are completely dead. Why do you think opioids are the highest rate in Utah County? Right? At an all-time high. Because people on the surface level want to be seen, but it's spiritually they're dead inside. We're called to those people. We're called to, to call out those people. And calling out, I mean by, by going to them, ex- telling them that there's more, by loving them more, by accepting them more when their families kick them out, reject them. When society rejects them, says it's, it's a shame, and we go to them. So before I, I end... I just want to, you know, give people a chance to respond. You know, this is a, a message that you can either hear and just live the rest of your life without it changing anything. Or you can respond to it and actually allow it to change something within you. And when you leave the doors today, you'll see people differently than when you saw them when you came in. Or you can take Christ's words at as just as a very surface level, or you can allow them to dig deeper. 
to let the gospel change you from within. Because that's what transformation is, is the good news. So let's all bow our heads, please. The first group I, I want to talk about and, and to reach is the people who, who may be struggling with, with loving the unlovable. Perhaps there's somebody in your life who is just extremely difficult to love. Someone who is difficult in every measure of that word, but that you are called to love. And if that's you, just pray with me now. Father, give me the ability to love at such a deep level that it causes that person to step back and wonder, why? Why do you love me? I am not worth the efforts. I am not worth your abilities to love. God, give us the supernatural ability to love that person. Through the persecution, through the pain, through the lashing, that we continue to love and serve. Because that's what you did for us. I want you to just picture that person in your mind. And just spend a minute or two just praying with yourself, just praying to God, how can I better love this person? group these are the people who either don't know Christ at a relational level or perhaps you've walked away perhaps you had the relationship but you feel like you've wandered too far I tell you now that is a lie that is never too far so if you haven't accepted Christ yet and you want that relationship, you want that transformation, you're sick of doing it on your own, you're sick of trying to muscle your way through loving people, I tell you now, the antidote to that is giving up. Surrendering everything. Becoming a new identity in Christ. Because that is the only way this will happen. So pray with me now if that's you. Father, I'm a sinner, but I know that by grace you can save me. Lord, I just welcome you into my life. I welcome you into my heart. Transform me to be more like you. Renew my mind. Make me a new creation, identified as a child of God and not a child of the enemy. Rescue me from myself. Rescue me from sin. Give me a life full of fulfillment 
one of hope and one of future. Because that's the only thing that we have is you. And Lord, for the people who have wandered away as the prodigal son, as, as me, Lord, myself, did that we come back. And that you, open up, you welcome us back with open arms to an illustrious feast with no conditions, wearing the best robes. Even though we deserve death, we deserve no inheritance. We turned our back on you, Lord, but you have brought us back. That, we, that you never were away from us. That you were always present. And like a great big brother, you went towards us. You didn't leave us. You looked for us. You sought us out. And you brought us home. It's never too late. Lord, we just thank you again for your word. We thank you for your transformative power in our hearts and our lives. That we can think differently. That we can love differently. That we can be different. Like lights on a hill. Like beacons in a foggy sea. You can make us into that. You can make us something that the world scratches their head about. That the world may call us fools, call us sheep to be slaughtered, but your word says, no, we are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. Because in Jesus, we have full authority. In Jesus, we have full liberty. In Jesus, we have life. In Jesus, we have hope. In Jesus, we have future. In Jesus, we have fulfillment. And in fulfillment, we have a full abundance of love. Because we have no right to hate. Lord, I pray that this week you put people in front of us. You give us situations where we can love people who are unlovable. That we can love people who hate us. That when they spit on us, it's a blessing because we have an opportunity to love them even deeper. Let nothing separate us. Allow us to leave this room transformed by your love. Give us your eyes to see people. Not with our eyes of flesh, but with your spiritual eyes of love. And when we look at people who are struggling, we look at people who, who offend us and, and hurt us, that we feel pity and love and we humble ourselves to you. That you are greater than all that. And you have called us for greater purpose than to spend time hating people, gossiping against people. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord, for your authority that only you carry on heaven and in earth and whose authority we walk daily as co-heirs with Christ, as children of God, 
adopted into his family by our faith in you, saved by the grace you have given us, an abundant grace. That means not only are we saved, but that we are no longer living for ourselves, that he can ask anything of us because we no longer live for ourselves. Thank you, Lord, for what you did on the cross, that you would lovingly die for us so that we can one day live with you and be with you for eternity, worshiping you, loving you. I can think of no greater thing than just to be with you forever in your presence, apart from sin, apart from hate, apart from fear, apart from being desperate to be completely filled with you and everything you are. In your glorious name I pray, amen. All right, go love somebody. I think we have food out there as well, so get some time to fellowship and have a great day. What about that?